Hello, folks, and welcome to the Tales of Podcast. I'm Janine Daniels, your host and game master. For all those RPG fans out there, we are a system agnostic actual play podcast with a narrative and story building focus. For all of you who are not familiar with the RPG world, welcome! We hope that you stick with us. This podcast is basically myself and four friends doing improvised storytelling in fictitious worlds, with some baseline game mechanics and dice rolls thrown in to help make our randomised decisions along the way. The game we're going to be starting with is called Vesen, a folkloric mystery horror game set in the 19th century, which is from the Free League Press. They recently finished their Kickstarter for their new expansion set in Victorian Britain and Ireland, and since we backers got an alpha copy of some of the digital content, we figured it would be perfect timing and a great choice for kicking off the podcast. Although we love to aim for a good balance of drama, horror and giggles, there may be some moments with content some may find triggering due to this setting's dark nature. For every episode, we will be providing content warnings in the show notes. Just a quick note before we begin, the London where our story takes place is a fictitious London from a divergent timeline, in a setting we're calling Tilted London. It's not intended to be historically accurate, with the timeline diverging somewhere in the 1850s. So I hope any history nerds out there can suspend their disbelief enough to enjoy the slightly more mystical setting we're creating. Also, I am in fact pretty much a baby GM, and this is the first game I have ever written 100% from scratch. So, I hope you can bear with me here and there, and enjoy listening to it as much as I've enjoyed writing it. And fingers crossed there aren't too many plot holes. So, with all that covered, let's get stuck into our first adventure. Welcome all to Tales of Tilted London. We open in a small, bare room. A gas lamp is lit, but the shadows are already licking up from the darkened corners as the cold of the evening storm begins to creep its way in. The walls are drab, with few decorations of note and very little furniture to speak of. We see a young woman hauling the last of her few possessions into a large suitcase. Maeve is haphazardly throwing random bits of clothing, papers into her suitcase, stuffing it full to the brim and trying to close it and being frustrated that she can't close it properly. Um, So she lets out a big sigh and she kind of sits down on the bed and puts her head head in her hands. Um, And then she sighs again and looks up. And she sees that there's some papers she forgot about on the sideboard. So she gets up and she goes to grab those and chuck them into the trash can. As she grips the papers between her fingers, we hear a deafening crack of thunder. And a sharp, prickling sensation rushes through her body as her vision floods with an inky blackness. It's happening again. What is it this time? She turns her head this way and that, but nothing pierces the darkness of her vision. 
It's never been like this before. She feels a tight, heavy panic begin to rise up and grip her, for she is certain that she not only is no longer in her room anymore, but she is not certain even where her body is to return to. Her panicked heartbeat thuds in her ears. Louder and louder, until she realizes that that is not the only sound she can now hear. Keeping time with her racing heartbeat and quickened breath is the sound of an approaching rhythmic tribal drumming. As the beating reaches a deafening crescendo, it is abruptly interrupted with a jarring, screaming ululation. And the sight of fountains, rivers of blood explode across her vision. spreads out as far as she can possibly see, appearing to writhe and protest as it seeps down into a dark, foreboding earth. Then suddenly, a loud crack across the sky with a cacophony of rifle fire. As the red-stained earth begins to move, moaning as it does so, forming the shape of hundreds, thousands of twitching, straining corpses. As they drag themselves from their muddy bonds, they turn in unison to face her, their maws forming the pitch-black voids of their cowls. With a sickening groan, their jaws fall open and their mouths expand. As their flesh moves into something resembling a shroud, their maws forming the pitch-black voids of their cowls. Their moans merge, melding and synchronizing, until they become that of a chilling, rhythmic chant. And their bloody robes begin to pool and form together. These visions begin to cycle, rivers of blood, corpses rising, sinister robes, a crack of gunfire, blood staining the earth, incessant drumming, sodden bodies, a war cry, hooded figures, rumbling moans, hands grasping and mouths reaching, gasping for air. She tries to pull away her eyes, but the stinging, prickly sensation overwhelms her. She is heavy, her body is frozen, and her breath catches in her throat. With each cycle of these visions, each flash, we see another presence slowly invading from the corners of her sight. Sickly purple-green tendrils creep into the scene, pulsating, gripping and tearing until her vision swims with this foul invasion, battering all of her senses until finally this entity coalesces into a hideous, sneering, twisted face. It fixes her with its gaze and unhinges its jaw, causing a pulsing mass of putrid tentacles to writhe and burst out from its mouth towards her, and then tumble down, flailing and snapping, to the London skyline.
With a sharp shock, her vision is suddenly returned as what feels like an icy hand slaps her across the face. We see a close-up of her eyes as they snap open, milky white and clouded. They searched, panicked, left and right, and as she blinks, we see a flash of a final image. A boat. No. A houseboat. A boathouse? A boathouse sitting between dreary warehouses. With a final blink, the vision is gone, and the deep green hue of her emerald eyes is returned once more. She blinks slowly as she sighs to catch her breath and says, Well, shit, that's not good. As a new day breaks, we begin in the swirling grey fog that perpetually hangs above the city. The sun is rising with a crisp, cool breeze, which is seemingly promising us to become a pretty pleasant day all round. The camera sinks down and pans across the skyline of Victorian London. Not the London that you and I know, but perhaps not all that different either. Smoke rises from stacks as far as the eye can see, and the shouts and cries of its many citizens going about their business heralds the new day. We appear to be heading into the East End. The camera swoops down below the rooftops of ramshackle buildings and skims above the rain-spattered cobblestones, ducking and diving between the shaggy hooves of trap ponies and whistling over the yelling heads of street peddlers. We turn corners this way and that, until we reach a somewhat unassuming alleyway. As our view comes to rest in this serene side street, we float upwards, towards a second floor window, and into a small, cosy room. Mike, would you like to tell us what we see? Yes. Um, so the room, at first glance, looks super messy and really disorderly and out of place. But if you were to spend a few moments regarding your surroundings, you'd see that this is more of a chaotic order than anything else. There are papers strewed, strewn all over the place uh, in an organized fashion. They line the walls, uh, kind of hiding any paint work or, or wallpaper. Um, but they tell a story if you know where to look. Uh, Lloyd knows where to look. Um, and he's currently stood in the center of the room panning his head around the walls and regarding his work. He scratches his chin, which is uh, freshly shaven. He's, he's clean shaven, but you can already see the uh, evidence of, of stubble pushing mm -hmm. his way back out. So he takes quite a bit of pride in his appearance. He does. Uh, as we, maybe the camera pans up, we see a pair of freshly polished shoes. He's got his uh, well-ironed grey trousers, his woolen trousers. Uh, and he wears a shirt. Uh, first two buttons are undone. His uh, sleeves are roughly rolled up. And his hair is, uh, is short, well-kempt, uh, combed to the side. What color is his hair? Black. You can see scars along his face and arms. Subtle now, it's been many years since, since they were made. But it tells a history of, uh, of violence. And, uh, yeah. And what is he, what is he up to? Was well, he standing in the room and he's looking around at the papers? Uh, he is trying to put things together. Lloyd is a broker of information and he 
while he doesn't understand people very well, he understands facts and information and that people will pay for them. Mm. Um, he's trying to piece together things that might be of interest to his many contacts um, and things that people have requested of him. Mm. So as, as Lloyd stands there in the middle of the room looking around at the walls, you hear a familiar rustling and then a tap. Turning around, you see a scrap of paper is now floating down in front of your door. And then as you go, you go and pick it up and we see a close-up of your eyes over the top of the paper as you're reading it. Mm. And you know what this means. Mm. His eyes narrow. Mm -hmm. Lloyd neatly folds the piece of paper and places it somewhere in a pocket on the wall between several other sheets of paper in a way that makes total sense to him and is completely natural, but to anyone else it would look like he was just leaving it to never be seen again. Um, he grabs his gloves from a hanger nearby the door and his hat, which is super classic flat cap. Um, he double takes as he goes to, to open the door and leave and returns to a small bowl by the side of the door and takes from it a, an unseeming looking matchbox. And before he leaves, he slides it in under the lip of his, his hat and then opens the door. You head down the stairs and at the bottom you arrive in a small, quiet room lined with desks and lamps and papers are everywhere. There's a small young boy with his flat cap pulled over his face and he's dozing in a chair with his feet up on a table which is almost resting on a telegraph machine. <coughs> you feeling a bit nervous? No, that was, that was Lloyd. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try that again. <laughs> oh no, please keep that. That's brilliant. Uh, but, 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 I, I was just resting my eyes. Right, I, I need you to do something for me. Anytime, Mr. Lloyd. You know, the, uh, the posh Irish bloke. Very well. Did yeah. you send him a message? Absolutely, sir. Uh, and he pulls a piece, a scrap of paper from his, uh, from his pocket and writes something down and hands it to the kid. Do you reckon that toff will give me a copper? If you're lucky. Yes. How fucking posh am I supposed to be? <laughs> <laughs> posh compared to Lloyd. Posh, posh. the Irish are allowed to be. Posh compared to a street urchin. The way you describe your house sounds pretty posh. <laughs> I just don't know how I'm going to do a posh voice. So he, he, he snatches the, the paper away from you, he stuffs it into his pocket, and he goes pelting out of the side door. And then when you nod and you see that he's gone, we see you approach a bookshelf in the wall. With a grunt, you give it a big solid push and you swing it aside and you step out into a bustling kitchen the smell of meat and pastry and mystery spices flood your nose as you enter at the large central table we see a tall round woman in a very clean but very well-worn apron and if you've ever seen Blackadder and know the Mrs. Miggin character uh, imagine that but a little less insane uh, 
She is up to her elbows in flour, gesticulating to her kitchen helpers about the room, sending up small flurries and clouds with each movement. Mid-berating some unfortunate assistant, she notices your arrival and breaks into a wide, warm smile and calls out to you in a cheery, rich voice. Well, well, well! Rise and shine! We don't normally see you up this hour. Same time every day. <laughs> Where are you going this hour? Got some people I need to speak to. Same old, same old. Is that right? Well, I'm not having you going nowhere an empty stomach. And she, uh... She reaches onto the counter behind her where she has a parcel wrapped in wax paper and she hands it over to you. That'll keep you going, love. Just for me or for the lads and all? That's up to you, my darling. How many pies are there? There's two. Okay. We'll have to get a bit creative here. (laughs) If you say so, darling, if you say so. At that moment, the other door to the kitchen opens and a smartly dressed young teen steps through. He takes off his flat cap and gives a singular nod to Mrs. Mundy. Then he silently reaches into his waistcoat pocket and passes her a piece of paper. She pats a flower from her hands in a dust cloud and takes it from him. The kitchen seems to almost fall silent, as if the whole building were holding its breath. As she reads the message, her eyebrows slowly arching as she does so. Then just as suddenly, the air rushes back into the room and the spell is broken as she nods, placing the paper into her apron pocket. The boy then turns to leave, but before he can make it through the door, he hears a, "Uh uh-uh. He turns to see Mrs. Mundy's eyebrows raised once again as she points to a small pie sitting on the side before the door. His solemn demeanor breaks as he grins widely and snaps it up, pocketing it as he dashes away. And then she turns her attention back to Lloyd and she says, you uh, you better watch yourself out there today. It's uh, it's gonna be a wild one. Lloyd gives her just a straight-faced appraisal and uh, says nothing, nods respectfully. You know I will. (laughs) We follow you once more as you step through into the shop front. We turn to see the gruff Mr. Mundy manning the counter. He gives you a nod of acknowledgement. And then our view goes with you through the door and out into the street, pulling out and back, rising high above the grimy cobbles to show us the sign above the entrance, which reads, Mr. Mundy's Pies and Sundries. Cut to... A much nicer neighborhood. The sun has just started to paint the sky in shades of pink and orange as a lone figure makes his way past St. Patrick's Church, then a left turn onto Soho Square. A sporadic trail of drops of blood mark his route. He stops outside number 26 and fumbles in his pocket for a key with his left hand, wary of staining his coat with the blood soaking the handkerchief around his right. Inside, all is quiet except the tick of the clock in the hallway as it reaches 6.35am. Fabio, can you please describe for us your character? I can indeed describe him. Uh, So Conor O'Leary is in his mid-50s, 
but he looks older right now. His shoulders are uh, stooped under the weight of his exhaustion from whatever has been going on tonight. He's obviously had a whole night of it. Uh, he grunts as he steps in the door and bends down to um, pick up the morning paper. Um, and we can see that he has the frame of a man who was once very muscular um, and that's started to be- begin to fade with age for him. Uh, he seems to favour his right leg with a slight limp, an old war wound that he's been carrying for years. And he often carries a cane with him, but he rarely allows himself to use it to support himself, uh, unless he's been standing around for an excessive amount of time. He takes a pistol from his coat pocket as he opens the door to his rooms. And he drops it into the umbrella stand in the foyer. He winces as he shrugs off his coat before finally collapsing into his chair. He strokes the head of his Irish wolfhound, McCracken, who's sleeping between the chair and the fireplace. He has on a, a dark wool suit, dark grey wool suit. It's very well tailored, though it's muddy and disheveled around the, the cuffs of the ankles. Um, his shirt has a high collar, but it's been pulled open and his, his tie is hanging loose. Uh his moustache, usually very finely waxed up into a big curl, only has the curl on one side. The other is mashed into his face. Uh, speaking of possibly some kind of blow that took him to the side of the face and burst his lip in the process. Um, he has close cropped grey hair. Uh, he's kept it that way since his military days, which were long and hard. And uh, his face leans towards gaunt, uh, though he doesn't look unhealthy, he still he still has a bit of strength about him. Uh, as he sits down, he pours himself a drink, probably a nice whiskey, and reaches for the newspapers. And uh, on the front of this morning's newspaper, we see the headline, Pandita Mahadevi, elected leader of newly independent India. Uh, Connor gives a smile to this. Um maybe thinking that it uh, bodes well for his own country to uh, achieve its own independence. And, however, unfortunately, as you reached over to the side table to pick up this morning's paper, you jostle the rest of the pile of various papers that you've left there, and one of them falls loose, unbeknownst to Connor. But we, the audience, see it slide slowly to the floor, and we see another headline in a recent article, which reads, Fraud, a denouncement of psychical amateurs and exposure of their wicked methods. This article is written by the leader of the Society for the Study of Psychical Phenomenon, a lord and well-respected member of the scientific and psychical community. The article is very scathing and is calling out you and your team as frauds and troublemakers due to a run-in on a previous case, which you very much embarrassed him on. Um, as he's sitting there, I think he'll take a drink and uh, he'll check his pockets for his pipe that he can never find. Um, he hasn't a clue where it is. He probably fell out during the night. Actually, he's, he, he buys a pipe a week. He loses them that often. As we look around Connor's apartment, do you want to tell us like what it looks like? Um, what? Well, you're in a nice neighborhood, so I'm assuming it's some nice apartments. Maybe he's got memorabilia on the wall and such. It is. It's lovely. He has some. He has. I, he definitely has a, a, a shotgun or two hanging up off the fireplace. And um, uh, is it an apartment or is it a uh, attached house? 
it's it's a f- he keeps rooms in a floor on one floor of this building. Okay, like the third floor is his. He doesn't have a kitchen, but the maid of the house brings. Okay, okay, okay. Tea sometimes, Very like well. the bachelors of those days, exactly. Mm. The room is nice. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's well decorated. If like not very, if if a little Spartan. Uh, what is on the walls obviously means a lot to him. There's there's a shotgun. There's there's um, there's a fireplace right in front of him. Um, over the fireplace is uh, a painting of the Irish countryside, and there is a carriage clock. Um, he has a brace of dueling pistols on the wall beside that. And um, there are a few bits and pieces from some of his campaigning days, various countries that he visited. Uh, he spent time in Africa, and that's obvious from the walls. Behind him, where he sits, is... Uh, a collection of maps, which have, some have been hung on the wall, others sit on a desk, some of them rolled, others with magnifying glasses over them as he remembers some of his travels. Question? Yeah. Uh, is there, are there, are there discarded pipes around the apartment as well? Like everything else is neat, but there happens to be like two, three pipes at like the, the coffee table or stuff like that. They, no, they might be behind tables and couches. Oh, okay. They're in places that he can't see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's like at least five underneath <laughs> some of these maps and things. Um, I think he'd also have some... Um, he's definitely got a St. Bridget's cross over his table. And uh, he has some other Celtic uh, pieces from Ireland. So... We see Connor sinking down into his chair, obviously needing to rest. He's probably now pretty sore bones and enjoying, I'm assuming, a very nice whiskey. He's been out all night. He must be wrecked. I would be. Mm-hmm. The hallway clock ticks on in the background as Connor slowly winds down and begins to relax. After some time, there's a loud knocking coming from the front door. I uh, Well, the front door is the front door of my apartment or the front door of the house? Of the house. Right, okay. So, all right, this is a whole thing. He has, he has to drag himself out of the chair. There's a massive groan. He has to, luckily he didn't, he didn't have the strength to take his boots off earlier, so he walks out and down the stairs and opens, opens the door to see who's there. And we see a small messenger boy. Um, he probably doesn't see him straight away because <laughs> <laughs> we see the door open and the the view is just like huh, and then the camera pans down. Yeah, you'll have to look from left to right and then oh, down here, down here. <laughs> so you see a small boy um, in a waistcoat, a scruffy waistcoat, and a flat cap, and he says, "Morning, Sergeant. Got a message for you." Go on, lad. What have you got? He hands you a piece of paper. Well, he reaches out a piece of paper to you. Yep. I'll, uh, at, with this, at the same time, I'm handing him over a shilling. Good, because he wasn't going to let go of that paper until <laughs> something else was going in the other hand. Is a shilling an appropriate amount for a tip at this that stage? That is an amazing amount for a tip. He's like, God, blimey. I probably He's thought it was tuppence it. or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know how different the coins were. <laughs> I'm too rich to understand how much yeah. money is worth. <laughs> <laughs> what a problem to have. Yeah. He's like, wow. Thanks, mister. See you later. And he goes skipping off before you can stop him. Good lad. Look after yourself out there. 
So you now have a note. I will read that note. You open up the note, which reads, Someone spotted hanging around HQ. Meet me at the Jelly Deal Peddler's Corner. Bring Jacques. Signed, L. Oh, okay. He'll um, finish his whiskey. Uh, wish that he had made a pot of tea instead. And he changes his shirt and puts the same coat back on. Gets his pistol because, well, might be dangerous to leave without it. Uh, checks it that it's loaded and functioning. Puts it into his coat and he heads off out. Oh, and he'll, first of all, he'll feed his dog. As good, all responsible pet owners. <laughs> exactly. It would have been nice to bring him for a walk, but he didn't. doesn't have time this morning. I don't, Maybe. Looks like McCracken is not up for a walk anyway this morning. McCracken never wants a fucking walk. He's a lazy bastard. You, you give him some food and he looks up at you and gives you a lick on your hand, but definitely is going back to the fire. Go boy yourself. And so we watch Connor as he goes striding out of the street, maybe look not as fast as usual, maybe just with a little bit of a limp perhaps. And we see him walk down the street and back towards the church and along the path of blood splatters that he left on his way home. Cut to a gloomy, dark interior. Cold stone flagstones line the floor, and raised stone slabs sit lined in a row. Our view proceeds down a gully in the aisle between them, one or two of which we see covered by a white sheet, the odd stiff limb poking out from underneath. Only a few of the unfortunates here have a name to them, their tags written in a practically imperceptible scrawl. We hear some muttering and grumbling in the background and can see acrid wisps of smoke floating up from behind the very last slab on the row. As we peek behind the final slab, we see a short, dark-haired man in a medical apron. He's smoking a very dog-eared cigarette and holding a hand of greasy-looking cards. He spits, mumbles a colourful string of curses in multiple languages and throws down his cards. It's too early in the morning for this fucking shit. Shouldn't you be in bed already? The camera pans to show us his gaming partner. Charles, please describe for us your character and what we see. Jacques has taken off his coat, uh, but otherwise he is immaculate. Uh, the shirt, the cuffs, uh, the waistcoat, the dark trousers. Now, to the untrained eye, uh, he might uh, seem quite plain, but it is all in the details for Jacques. Uh, indeed, his cuffs, they are uh, a hint, a hint of gold on them. Uh, the bow tie is perfectly placed as always. Uh, now, there are sputterings of blood on his cuffs, but the man has been up all night. You can't fault him for blood when he is a working doctor. He's got dark bags, but uh, and perhaps his haircut, his hairdo might not be as perfect as it is uh, usually in the morning, but after a long night, you can clearly see that he he's still been trying to maintain it. What color is his hair? And what kind of cut is it? 
black. Uh, black, it is uh, combed backwards, uh, uh, maybe with a little bit of, oh, what would they use, grease? I think they would use grease at this time, yes. Um, pulled backwards. Uh, I can only imagine he is going for the, uh, the preppy look, but his hair is, is getting a little bit on the long side. Uh, but he thinks he thinks it looks good with the uh, what do you call it with the mutton chops he's been trying to grow. Although uh, maybe he doesn't have quite enough hair down towards his cheeks. Uh, but he likes it. He thinks it makes him look a little more dignified and of the people. Mm -hmm. Um, most important question, how's his beard game or his mustache game? Oh, no, 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 no. He has no beard game. He has, he has been growing his, uh, what do you call it? Jobs. Yeah, but the, it, it's not coming. Yeah, his sideburns. He's been growing his sideburns. I think in his mind, he'd like to imagine that one day he will grow uh, mutton chops, but uh, is nowhere is good. No, 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 no. But he, his sideburns, he, he's quite proud of. He's, you know, it's a little, little bit uh, dignified. By the way, what is the name of my partner? In my mind, I imagine him as Pitor. I haven't named him actually. Uh, let's, 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 uh, I don't yeah, I don't know what nationality he is. Oh but, good um, question. Whatever you want to name him, you can. Then fuck it, let's call him Pitor. Pitor. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> is four of a kind uh bad? <laughs> you see him close his eyes and give out an exasperated sigh and he throws the cards down on the table and flicks a couple of coins at you and puts the dog-eared cigarette, cigarette out on the ground and he's like, I don't know why I fucking bother. I, you always, always take my money. <laughs> Peter, please, I never take your money. You know this. Just add it to my tab. The day I actually take your money... Well, I don't know. That would be the day, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, fucking charity case right here. <laughs> Come on then. I, I play with you for the company and for the good game. Yeah, that's that fucking silver tongue I'm always hearing about. <laughs> Come on then, deal isn't again. Okay, okay. Uh, roll, roll us another cigarette. Now tell me, Peter, are the dead still dead tonight? One fucking time. One fucking time. I got that wrong, right? <laughs> It was a it was a freak accident, right? And I had a bit too much to drink. Just one fucking time and you get a reputation. All I'm saying is uh I like it better when the dead stay dead. <laughs> Don't we all, mate? <laughs> I uh I hear you falling in with a pretty stable crowd these days. I know is 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 terrible. How is a man of ill repute supposed to keep his ill repute if all the people around him have good repute? I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> well, a man ain't nothing if he ain't got no reputation, eh? You're like accidentally credible. <laughs> <laughs> Voila, well said, well said. But uh, hey, you know... I always thought the ladies, they like a man with a little bit more danger to them, you know, so. We're just going to have to find a different way to try our luck. Isn't that right, Peter? Oh, is that why you ain't getting none? Because you're too reputable now. <laughs> That'll be the day I take your money, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they're playing a few more hands of cards and um, Pietro 
loses many hands and uh, continues cursing and then a little while later we hear the sound of footsteps approaching on the flagstones and around the corner comes Connor. What up my physicians? <laughs> I'm sorry, what? <laughs> There's that reputation. <laughs> oh, I'm loving that sound bite. Mm, yummy, yummy sound bite. Um, yeah, Connor walks in and um, he says, uh, hey, Petey boy, I think I saw one of your corpses get up and leave there. Uh, you might want to check on that. Um, <laughs> Not again. No, so Connor walks in and he says, uh, no, he does in fact say, um, I think I, I think I saw one of your corpses get up and leave. You might want to... Capitaine, please, this is no laughing matter. Of course, Jack. <laughs> Sorry. Like, you see Pietro is like rubbing his forehead and he's just like, one fucking time. <laughs> one fucking time. Uh, put a sh- he puts a sh- uh, hand on Jacques' shoulder and he tells him, uh, come on, old friend, uh, we have a message from Lloyd. There's uh, a little bit of trouble we need to look into. Oh, boy. There goes that... Uh... No, I have nothing to say to that. Excellent. Fuck it. That's why I say excellent. <laughs> <laughs> I put my coat on. <laughs> Ali. <laughs> As you're walking away, Pietro turns and he says, and don't be coming back here when I just start my shift, all right? It's... F- First thing of the day, and I'm already six shillings down. <laughs> I'll shot <to> as ever. <laughs> I hope you cleaned him out, did you? Uh, I would never take his money. <laughs> that would be ungentlemanly. So what do you sit there for all night with that <laughs> smelly man for? Because <laughs> he does smell strongly of formaldehyde. Let's not let's not be about the bush here. It's the uh, witty conversation, of course. Oh, obviously. <laughs> you have good humor again. A good night for you too. Oh, it was excellent. Excellent. You see? Uh, indeed I can. <laughs> point out my burst lip. <laughs> I hope you gave them twice as much. Mm, maybe I'll tell you about it later on. I look forward to it, Capitaine. And so we see the uh, backs of Jacques and Connor as they leave the mortuary. And so we cut again now over to the docks of East London. We see Lloyd lounging on a crate on a corner as a large man boasts deafeningly of his jellied eel wares. As Lloyd is taking a bite of an apple. No, scratch that. Do you think he might be eating one of the pies? Too dirty, too messy. Fair enough. So we see, we see Lloyd uh, taking a bite of an apple as Connor and Jacques come around the corner. Mon ami. You took your time. I blame the Capitaine. What are you blaming me for? I'm, I'm the one who told... Okay, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> the, the important thing is we made it. Now, Lloyd, something seems to have uh, worried you this morning. Yeah, one of me China plates passed on a message about a woman, red hair, hanging around by a boathouse. I don't know for sure, but from what I've been uh, what I've been looking around, what I've been seeing, there's a. Uh, you remember the uh, you remember the news story, don't you? Ghost Club. I'm, I'm just hung up on China plates. It's one of your <laughs> your charming little code words from the West End, is it? 
the West End. <laughs> East what End. The, you're such a tough. <laughs> One of me mates. Oh, right. Sorry. False <laughs> of habit. Sorry. <laughs> One of me mates passed it on. Someone's hanging around. Either they know who we are or they're incredibly lost. But from the description, I'd hazard a guess that they're here from. Uh, they're already associated with the Ghost Club. We can take it how you want. I'll it's follow. unlikely anyone would end up our, at our HQ if they were having a good day. So let's be nice and gentle to this poor person. So you guys are heading down uh, towards the HQ? Yes. Okay. You turn into the unassuming alley and fight through the meticulously stacked piles of refuge until the path opens out onto a small loading yard dock. From the state and its surroundings, we can assume that this location is something of a forgotten space. Penned in on all sides by taller warehouses, the yard is perpetually gloomy even on the sunniest of days. At the end of the yard is a two-story boathouse leading down to the Thames. Today, however, there is something new waiting for you in the dockyard. Or rather, someone. Dun, dun, dun. Erica, can you please tell us what we see? Yep. Uh, Maeve is a petite woman uh, with red hair. It's currently pinned up in a very haphazard bun. So pieces are sticking out. Looks like she got ready in a hurry. And she is wearing simple kind of like traveling clothes in drab colors, like dark gray and brown. Um, She is pacing in front of your warehouse. Remember that your HQ is supposed to be a secret location. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Lloyd, was that? Looks like the description, yeah. Please be my guest. Go on ahead. I'll observe. Um, Mademoiselle. She like jumps and turns around and looks at you. It's like, oh, sorry. Uh, is this your boathouse? Oh, no, 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 no. This dreary dark of a thing. Uh, no, no, no. It's his, actually. <laughs> <laughs> she turns to look at Connor. It's a, it's a fixer-upper. I just haven't gotten to the fixing or is upping this bit. Is this place yours? It, it is, yes, actually. I, my name is on the deed. Right. Okay. I saw this place in a vision, and I had to... Why are you making that face at me? A, a, a vision, you say? Yes. Right. I have foresight. Indeed. And and I can talk to ghosts. You must have the sight, too. This she kind of looks at you, hopefully, like she doesn't have to explain it. This, I'm quite sure I don't know what you're talking about. She raises Connor an eyebrow. quite uh, cautious at this point, I think. You know, Thursday's children. So just to clue in the audience, the sight refers to the ability to see supernatural entities, which we call Vesen in this game. We decided to keep the original Swedish term from the main game, and it refers to creatures you find in folklore and horror, etc. Having the sight is not something that's very common, widely talked about or even known about in this era, as uh, industrialization and migration from rural areas is diminishing the passing on of folk wisdom and passing down of traditions of the old ways. To those in the know, people with the sight are known as Thursday's children. Thursday's 
Um, please, a moment, Adam. Could you just step here with me a moment and cast uh, your gaze across the street? Sure. There. She turns and she looks across the street. Do you see that young woman in the long coat with the hood over her head? Yes, I do. I, I, when when he hears this, Connor, uh, she's not entirely human. Uh, quite yes. Uh, he he turns to uh, Jacques and Lloyd, and he gives them a nod, and he says, uh, "Gentlemen, I think we should um, take our guest inside for a cup of tea." And as we see in the foreground, you and Maeve walk away, the camera remains in place, showing this figure back in the street that we, the audience, hadn't at all seen before, as it twitches and from under her shroud, her jaw just drops open into this huge, dark, gaping maw. Would I know what she is by looking at her, or no? I'm going to say no. Um. So yeah, we we, we would lead. Um. Well, we haven't. Oh, your name, please. Maeve Mackenzie. Maeve, and mine is Connor O'Leary. And this the is rest my of you, Shock. The Beauregard. <laughs> I always forget that bit. Ah, uh, very, very good. French. Merci. Well, well noticed. <laughs> He's uh, Jacques is charmed. <laughs> <laughs> and this young gentleman over here is Lloyd. Just Lloyd. And he tips <laughs> his hat without taking it off. Uh, nice to meet you, just Lloyd. <laughs> uh, may we? <laughs> yes, no, we, we enter the boat. Uh... So, you all step into the boathouse. A rowing boat which has seen more sea the worthy days is the only vessel moored within. A single office overlooks the slipway and a crank-operated crane sits tilted to one side of the interior of the building, long unused. The sounds of bustle from the street quickly grow muffled as you walk further in. When you're inside, the only sounds that you can then hear are those coming from the river. I apologize for how cold and damp it is in here. The fire hasn't been on for a couple of days, but we'll soon sort that out. Are you not out. here every day? No, no, no. We we only come here when we must. Uh, but uh, do not worry. I will, uh, of course, take care of the tea. Do you uh, have coffee, actually? Uh, we are not that well... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, supplied. <laughs> yes, we're not that well supplied. Uh, tea is fine then. Excellent. I assure you, it's excellent tea. It's all I've had in this country. <laughs> uh, as I as I leave, I look to Lloyd and I give him one of those uh, tight lip, knowing smile. Like before I head off. What that means, I. It means I'm probably going to flirt with the girl at some point. <laughs> no, 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 no. Tight lip, tight lip. No smile. No smile. Yeah, I no. love that, uh, you know, how well gestures come across on audio medium. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But that's why I describe it. You have to just add a ton of foley. Like an over-the-top <laughs> amount of foley. Just creaking, <laughs> like, yeah. like. <laughs> uh, I have to, like, give the sound effect of, like, the squishing of an eyelid for when someone winks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's what I was no, doing. No, no, no. Th- this isn't with a smile. This is more of a something's happening. Mm, I, yes. Keep an eye. Keep an eye. You know. <laughs> so has only Connor and Maeve gone into the, the, into the boathouse? I house? expect Lloyd has as well. Yeah. I think we all went uh, in. I've, I've gone into the Kishon. And the, the main room within the boathouse is, is the office. Like, that's the only place that would be warmish. Otherwise, the rest is out on the river. So I think we'd go straight into the office. Okay. And so you lead Maeve into the office. There is a desk, a threadbare couch, and three uncomfortable-looking chairs arranged before a fireplace. A kettle hangs over said fireplace, and a side table beneath the notice board has a finely painted tea set, which, on close inspection, depicts some sinister and macabre goings-on. There is a, a figure hanging from the branches of a tree, there is a, a wolf feasting on a corpse and the hand of a drowning victim slipping beneath the surface of a pond. She will sit on the couch as long as it doesn't smell. It might smell of mildew a little bit. Like nothing, musty? Yeah, nothing That's more, acceptable. Yeah, nothing more offensive she than that. She just kind of gives you a grimace of a smile like, huh? Our, our, tea, our tea service is quite clean though. I think you'll find that Jacques has done a very good job polishing it up. I see. Um, so I think, I think they would indulge in a little bit of small talk while they wait for the tea to be made. And then as soon as the tea is served, uh, Connor would ask Maeve, so why don't you tell us your story and what brought you here? You mean what brought me to your abode? Sorry, your warehouse? Or what brought me to London? Because those are two different things. Well, I'm not in a rush. So why don't you give us the whole story so we know what's going on? Uh, sure. Um, I came to London under the invite of the Ghost Club. Have you heard of them? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> also unfortunately <laughs> for me, yes. Uh, they invited me here to try to persuade me to join their club. And when I said no, they, uh denounced my reputation in all of the newspapers, including some back in the U.S., I think. Though I won't know for sure until I get home. They are prone to doing that sort of thing with people who uh, don't agree with them, all right, yes. To be frank, I'm quite unhappy with the interaction, and I was packing to go home when I had a sudden vision that included... Um, this building at the end of it. And um, without meaning to upset you any further, can I ask you what else was in the vision? Uh, Corpses rising from the dead, rivers of blood, a tentacle monster eating London. Something about a cult. There were African drums. It was disturbing, to say the least. And I don't remember all of it because the experience was a little traumatic. As Miv is telling this and detailing some of the things that she saw in this vision, it seems that some of the things may have hit home for, for you guys. As she describes the vision, what kind of expression do you have on your faces? Uh, I, I, I betray a uh, look of concern. Uh, some of the things are uh, uncomfortable. To say the least. 
I think Connor would certainly recognize some of the imagery and the description of sounds um, from this vision. Um, he's experienced them both in person and for years since then in his nightmares. Um, things that he saw during his time as an officer in the British Army and later when he joined the, the French Foreign Legion and traveled to even more countries. Um, and these would be visions that uh, include horrors in, enacted on people by other people, but also supernatural horrors that maybe only he was privy to. So it's a, so it is a very personal type of uh, trauma mixed both the horrors of war and the supernatural. I think when we got inside and you guys were conversing, Lloyd will have been propped up since there's not enough chairs. He would have been propped up at the side of the room, kind of. There, there are enough chairs. There are enough chairs. There's well, three, he would be there's propped three up chairs and a couch. Well, he's propped up at the side of the room anyway because. And one of those chairs only has two legs. <laughs> <laughs> it's threadbare, and I know what's underneath the thread. <laughs> uh, those springs have hurt me before. Uh, he's yeah, he's propped up against the side of the cabin with uh, a small notebook, and kind of while this is all going down, you can just hear the scribbling of a pencil as he's trying to like as many more information that's coming up. He's trying to link it to what all the other stuff he thinks about on a second to second basis. So yeah, this is what's happening as this is going on. But as you start to describe the uh, the visions, and I, we, you talk about all the specifics. You mentioned cults and monsters. Um, Lloyd's face is very deadpan, like all the time, um, and it doesn't often give away what he's thinking. But you, you you would see his eyes narrow, like very obviously, at the mention of uh, of cult activity, and the scribbling intensifies. <laughs> Um, that is very concerning stuff, but... Uh, yeah, that's why I brought it to you. What do you believe we can do about it? It had something to do with you. The mm. whole vision ended with this place. I, uh, this is deeply, deeply, deeply disconcerning uh, I open up to my uh, gentleman friends um, ideas I have yet to collate any concrete thoughts as to the uh, meaning of this vision but I can conclude Miss McKenzie that you have in fact come to the right place you see we are not entirely unfamiliar with this sort of occurrence uh, we are I would say quite accomplished. Uh, some of our detractors may disagree with that. Um, but we are investigators of the paranormal, of note, experts, one might say, in the occult and matters of uh, paranormal mystery. I see. So perhaps we can help you get to the bottom of this. Uh, Lloyd. Any ideas? Nothing's coming to mind. Don't suppose you could be any more specific about these visions. I imagine they're quite blurry. I mean, yeah, it's blurry, but I could I could give you the minute details if you really want. Please. <laughs> she looks uncomfortable. 
Um, but she will literally give you the full vision from start to finish. Don't don't worry about him. He's a meticulous sort, you know. And I I can tell that Lloyd's taking notes. I have two empathy. So the the short form of what you take away from this is that um, Erica had a vision that has something tied to you, something something tied to Connor. had a vision. Sorry. Let's try again. Maeve had a vision that somehow ties to Connor, somehow ties to Jacques, and somehow ties to Lloyd, but there there was this other additional thing that doesn't seem to be familiar to any of them, any of you, but somehow this vision has told her something and brought her specifically to you three. At that moment, we hear a a small whistling sound as the kettle um, finishes boiling and we see Jacques go about in a very meticulous and ritualistic fashion of 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 pouring everyone some tea. Oh, no, 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 no. I I take the water kettle that has just been gone. I pour, I put the tea inside the uh, teapot and then I slowly pour the hot water. Now, uh, I want to specify to the audience that uh, Jacques doesn't uh, really know how to cook, but he uh, has taken pride in the necessity he's gotten in learning how to make tea. And he brings the, the you said the tea the tea set is in, in the, yes. He brings the teapot and says, I, I think you will find this quite refreshing. Would you, would you like milk and sugar? Don't take the milk. It's been there for quite a while. <laughs> sugar then. Uh, don't Thanks. take the sugar either. <laughs> uh, then I'll drink it black. I assure you, you, you won't regret it. It's uh, delicious. It's, it's excellent. Yes, good choice. Good choice. Ugh. Smart one, this one. It's my own blend from Siam and... Yes, no. <laughs> what can I, uh, I think uh, I will roll a cigarette. Uh, I look over to... My friend Lloyd, uh, cigarette. Yeah, Lloyd's pulling the matchbox out from under his hat. And good man, good man. Nodding. I turn to the lady. Uh, do you smoke? No. Uh, it's good for the lungs, you know, so they say. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> I'm, I'm on patting cigarettes? my coat and looking under things for my pipe. <laughs> uh, while Maeve is sipping her tea, her eyes are going to wander. And she'll see the notice board and kind of narrow her eyes at it and go, are those your cases? And she uh, points ver- to the board. Very well spotted. What gave it away? Was it all the red wool? All, all <laughs> the red picture. thread. <laughs> yes. So we, the camera looks across at the notice board and we see like a whole myriad of uh, different articles on there. There are newspaper clippings, there are lithographs, there are some strange little spidery drawings and really good, well, technical drawings that could be done by, we, we can't really guess who it might have been done by in the crew, um, but there is a collection of all kinds of things on there that seem to be related to various um, strange happenings around the city and the country that we presume that the the boys have been investigating. And I would like for you all to tell me one thing that's on the board that sticks, that jumps out at you, that's related to a previous case. Mm, 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 mm. Or an ongoing case. Uh, yes, 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 there is an article talking about electricity used to reanimate a, a, a corpse, uh, Jacques has said, has written down next to it, 
Merde. <laughs> Don't laugh. Is the Pied Piper real? <laughs> you can't start with "Don't laugh." Uh, I'd, like to, I'd, I'd like to answer that. We. Oui. <laughs> <laughs> we we can we can say that um, Pied Piper not a real thing, but we can say that um, there is a strange case. Uh, somewhere uh, else in the UK, where the um, the results and the crimes of it seems to be mimicking that of the Pied Piper. Yeah, I want it to, so it makes sense for Lloyd's thing to be to to punctuate his uh, his interest in cults. So maybe there's the Pied Piper was revealed, or something like the Pied Piper was. There was like a cult that was controlling using ritualistic shit to control swarms of rats or locusts or something like this in one of the London suburbs. Um, and then the, the, like, there's a newspaper thing next to it, which uh, is just about a big horrendous fire that in the area that the guy happened to be operating in and then he wasn't anymore. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm guessing every time that Lloyd looks at that, he has a small sense of pride. Yeah. Maybe besides some of these, like, news cuttings, there's, like, crudely ske sketch drawings of the vase that we believe were actually involved. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there would also be a... Um, there's a map of London that's on the notice board as well, and there's uh, pins in various locations around the city uh, which are um, my suspected locations of Hellfire Club meetings. Mm. And uh, uh, there are some press clippings of some of the crimes that have happened around these areas as well, mm. uh, committed by the perverts of the Hellfire Club. And Maeve, is there anything that jumps out for you on the board? There is something on the board about mysterious fairy circles appearing. Uh, near a town that's in northern England, close to the border of Scotland. What's a fairy circle? You don't know what a fairy circle is? So I'm going to put it in the you know, Discord. You know sometimes mushrooms grow in a ring? Mm. They say that that's like a, a gateway to the fairy realm. Okay, cool. They're like all over circle, Scotland. But fairies. They're also in like stones as well. Yeah, they it's like inscribed and shit. They're no, usually no. just like a mysterious circles. It could be a clearing, it could be mushrooms, it could be flowers growing in a perfect circle, stones appearing in that pattern, mm. um, that kind of thing. Okay. Usually, if you go there midnight and Midsummer's Eve, you'll see fairies. Mm. They can also you be really spirally. Maeve will just point at the fairy circle one and say, "Have you investigated this yet?" I think you just took priority. Oh, fair. So that's a no then. Well, we'll save it for a rainy day. Maybe you can join us. We 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 haven't managed to get out of the city in quite a while. We're we're saving our trip to the countryside to investigate that for the for a, a nice sunny day. Is there much mystery happening in London specifically? You'd be surprised. I mean, most of it turns out to be rats with, like, hats on. But a lot, some of it, every so often, you know, it's some kind of New creature. You know, New York has that same problem. Yeah. <laughs> Just rats stealing pies. Rats with hats. 
What kind of pies? Do you have apple pie? Um, no, they're mostly mince pies. Oh. Revolting mince pies. Meat pies. No, actually, a mince pie is fruit. I I thought that a mince pie until I was about thirty five. Well, there's mince meat and there's avoid mince. It. Is, is this Connor or is this Fabio? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know anything about fairy circles? I had some ancestors write about them. Where? In Scotland. My family's from Scotland originally. Why are you writing that down? <laughs> Just saving it for later. Never know what you need to know. Please excuse Mr. Lloyd. He uh, he likes taking notes. Are we calling you Mr. Lloyd? I've noticed. Just Lloyd. Okay. <laughs> I don't think you would call him Mr. Lloyd. <laughs> no. Please excuse uh, young Master Lloyd. Hmm. He does enjoy making his notes. I've noticed. Do you guys find yourself chit-chatting a little bit about some of the cases and images and things that are on the notice board? Um, and after a good maybe 15 or 20 minutes, there is a knock on the door. I thought this place was uh, unknown and today everybody is coming over. <laughs> yeah, did someone put out flyers or something? <laughs> I plead the fifth. <laughs> Am I expecting anyone? You're not expecting anyone, but you know that at least your messenger boy knows this yeah, place. Because he knows there. where to find you. I'll answer the door without saying anything. And so you open the door and we see a familiar face. It is the uh, messenger boy that you sent out earlier and that went to summon Connor. And he looks up at you and he takes off his cap and he says, uh, Another letter came for you, Mr. Lloyd. Good lad, Errol. Pass it on. So he hands you over a letter in quite a nice fancy envelope um, that has actually a wax seal on it. Cool. And without opening it in front of him, uh, Lloyd flicks him a... Tuppence. Thruppence or tuppence. <laughs> <laughs> Stick that in your tuppence. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and he, he looks at it and he goes, Wow, it's my lucky day. Thanks, Mr. Lloyd. On your way. <laughs> and he skips off. So you can see in your hands, you have this pretty, pretty nice um, letter. It definitely isn't coming from um, your neighborhood. It's definitely someone of decent means. And there is- I resemble that remark. <laughs> I meant Lloyd's neighborhood, um, <laughs> since he's the one who I'm currently addressing. And uh, yeah, on the back you see uh, that it has a red seal and the symbol that is punched into it uh, is is a symbol that's on the basin sheet. Do you want to describe what it? Would you like to describe what the symbol looks like, Lloyd? Yes, it's like a jaunty swastika. <laughs> Don't say that. No, <laughs> that's what it looks like. No, unfortunately, no. I veto. That is it's some kind of sun symbol, though, right? Imagine a diamond, but then you disconnect all of the corners of the diamond and you fold them up. You, you like burn the tips, and they go all frizzy at the ends, and it curls up. <laughs> And then there's four dots, like uh, a centimeter or half a centimeter from where those points once were, once were, each moving clockwise from from those points. Uh, anybody at home, if you have figured that by now, to please uh, draw it for us, take a picture, send it to us. I would like to see that, please. Really. <laughs> oh dear. How did I do? It's like an X that every part of it wants to be a Q. 
Again, if anybody's figured that out and would like to draw it, please send it to us. Oh, it's like if you put a mirror up halfway, uh, oh, like a 45-degree angle to like a treble clef. And then there's dots also in the corners. It's a plus sign where the corners curl around into No, it's a multiplication spiral. sign. Oh, is it? I can't see from here. Okay, it's a multiplication sign where the ends curl round. In, it's a Baroque <laughs> multiplication <laughs> sign. What is a plus sign if it's Do not a multiplication sign? you guys want me to describe it? Yes, please. <laughs> it's a cross with all of the ends curled clockwise. No, counterclockwise. They're curled counterclockwise, and then in each um, corner is a dot. Well, I don't know why you guys have to make it more complicated than that. That is correct. Because we're stupid. simply painting, we were painting pictures with our words. I like the diamond better. <laughs> <laughs> the frizzy bits. So, Lloyd, what are you going to do with this letter? I'm going to read it, of course. Alrighty, you open the letter, and inside there are two pieces of paper. One of them is the copy of a pamphlet that you recognize as one that your associates have created. Um, and it is a piece of, what would you say, propaganda? or For, for us? Mm-hmm. Our advertisement? No, like, it's basically from the secret press that you have putting out, like, anti-imperialist stuff. Oh, so oh for, from my personal work. Yeah. Political pamphlets and manifestos. Yeah, propaganda makes it sound so evil. Yeah, that's yeah. not the word I'm looking for. <laughs> um, but I guess it is in a way. Uh, I, I guess more like, more, I think it would be more informational. Okay, so I'll try it again. So inside there's two pieces of paper. One of them is a pamphlet that you recognize as being something from... Um, something that your uh, folks, or should I say your associates, uh, have put out. It's a very recent one, and it is demanding the repatriation of um, artifacts of the Indian exhibit at a museum in London. The other is a letter, which I will pass to you now. Uh, I like the font. Lloyd, uh, please read out loud. (laughs) (laughs) we'll just imagine what it says (laughs) (laughs) and you can't use your finger to follow the lines either (laughs) Uh, yeah so Lloyd takes uh, a dry look at everyone in the room to he known as Lloyd of Hackney although I'm not until now formally known to you I write to you in great earnest Having discovered some most peculiar information the same day as I came across this pamphlet, which I was able... Sorry, fellas, I'm not that... Do you want me to read it? I don't read aloud often. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. Lloyd, you're doing great. (laughs) Sound out every part of the word. (laughs) (laughs) Alter... Oh. (laughs) Although I'm not until now formally known to you, I write to you in great earnest. Having discovered some most peculiar information the same day as I came across this pamphlet, which I was able to trace back to you and your colleagues, I was most certain that these two events were indeed no coincidence. As you know, the exhibit has become a frightfully charged topic with the public. 
But once again, many of the room. Could you use a less fancy font next time? <laughs> <laughs> it was supposed to be fun. I, know, I, know. <laughs> I can read it. I can read any font. That's okay. I got it. Uh, as you know, the exhibit has become a frightfully charged topic with the public. But once again, many of the rumours surrounding this exhibit and its location are being kept a very closely guarded secret. My sources have discovered, however, that over the course of the last year, the speed of the staff staff turnover has been extraordinary. And in the weeks since the new exhibit arrived, some former staff are now even reportedly missing. As of writing, the museum has only a staff of three who choose to remain, some of whom claim in the last days there have been fearsome sounds, movements and presences throughout the halls. The level of secrecy surrounding these events, along with the rumours that could quite easily have been dismissed as nonsense, leads me to believe that there is most certainly more at play here, and something dreadful might be afloat. Afoot. <laughs> 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 the, <laughs> the level of secrecy surrounding these events along with the rumours that could quite easily have been dismissed as nonsense leads me to believe there is most certainly more at play here and something dreadful may be afoot your unusual abilities are of great interest to me and I believe you and your associates may be the only ones who are actually equipped to unearth the truth behind these events and remedy them I hope that you may prove my theory correct, for I sense something most dreadful brewing within our city. If this is indeed the case, I believe we could be of great help and use to one another, and I am certainly prepared to not only reward you almost handsomely, but to continue supporting your activities into the future as well. I hope that we are of similar mind, and that you will take me up on investigating this issue, for the sake of us all. Yours sincerely, a most interested party. There's no name. I don't like that. Can I see it? You can. Sounds like a terrible ruffian. (laughs) (laughs) Why would somebody seal a letter with a seal on it? But then not put our name. Can I have a look at that? Oh, the seal is the symbol from our character sheets. Perhaps they expect us to know something about them already. I could consult the books. Would any of us recognize that seal? No. Okay. I mean, it sounds like a job. Mm. Do you think maybe they're embarrassed by us and didn't want to say who they are but then how do we get paid i reckon if they're not not wanting to say who they are they're probably because there's something uh, sensitive going on and they don't want us to or anyone else to slip the information he knows your name he probably knows you and you oh i don't know if he knows me but um could uh, your uh, unpleasant dream somehow be Oui, yes, a vision. Uh, be somehow related to this letter? I Potentially? She, like, takes a moment to scan the letter, her eyes darting back and forth very quickly. He mentions a dreadful brewing within our city. 
Sense something most dreadful brewing within our city. I feel like that could be related. But I can't say for sure. It's just one sentence. It's worth looking into. Maeve, you do have a flash of memory back to your dream, to your vision. You do have a flash of a memory back to your vision, and you remember that horrible face that was regurgitating tentacles, that the very end of the vision was those dark tendrils reaching down to what appeared to be the London skyline. Yeah. Tentacle monster going to eat London. Nom, nom, nom. I, for Tasty one, London. have learned never to... Uh, discount uh, a coincidence. There is often something there, especially when people with the sight. I are don't involved. think it's a coincidence, and also my visions tend to be correct. I have in no whatever doubt. twisted way. You seem to be a manifest. very serious young woman, and I have no doubt of that whatsoever. If I may, yes, Connor, Jack, mm-hmm. um, Maeve, was it? Yes. Um. Miss Monday also said something uh, that struck me as strange this morning. So you're pie lady. Among other things, yes, by pie lady. Why does that sound uncouth? (laughs) (laughs) I assure you it was not meant to be. It's simply a lady who gives him pies. I like the idea that that's the Cockney version of me bird. (laughs) My pie lady. (laughs) Pie lady. What, what, what did she say? Didn't give away too much. Just told me to be careful. Said something's brewing. She's Ooh. got a same she's word got choice. Intuition. She Some said it. something is brewing. What did she say exactly? Because Lloyd would recall. She said that um, something wa- looked like it was going to be dangerous today, and like something was going to go down. She said something looked like it was going to be dangerous, and something was going to go down today. She this also has a sight. Not that I know of. And if she did, I think I would. I think there's just a general air of foreboding hanging over the city today. <laughs> she, she's got elephant intuition. Just I wouldn't a weather discount anything forecast she says. of dread. Not for any narrative purposes whatsoever. <laughs> well, I think we should um, go to this museum. I would tend to agree with the young lady. Maeve. Just call me Maeve. I'm sorry, Maeve. Your family name? Mackenzie. Mackenzie, sorry. Miss? Miss, yes. She's visibly in her 30s, like she's not a young lady. Well, maybe compared to you, she is. Old lady. <laughs> How old is Jacques? <laughs> How old is Jacques? How old is everyone? Oh, uh, I'm uh, nearly in my 40s. I'm still in my 30s, though, you know. Dashing good time. Young 30s for Maeve. I think Lloyd's a bit older than he was before, maybe like 25, 26. Connor is in his 50s. But looks like he's in his late 50s, definitely. Well, I guess maybe we should go see this uh, exposition. I'd be interested. I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen the uh, exhibition. Plus the tea's getting cold.
listening, folks. If you enjoyed this, please leave us a review on your podcatcher of choice. It'll help spread the word and also help others to find us too. If you have any comments, questions, or just want to connect with us on Twitter, you can. You can find us at at Tales of Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. The Tales of Podcast crew are Erica as Maeve McKenzie. You can reach her on Twitter with at underscore Erica. Fabio as Connor O'Leary. Charles as Jacques de Beauregard. Mike as Lloyd. Everyone else and sound design was by me, Jan. You can reach me on Twitter with at thatlastjan. All music and sound effects used with permission and may have been edited or modified for use. Further details can be found in the show notes. (laughs) See you next episode! Oh,